My name is Brian, and welcome again to an episode of Lots to Talk About. Today, my guest uh, grew live in the school of hard knocks and experienced a lot of conditions that limit people in their lives. Uh, she coupled that with hundreds of one-on-one -on -one conversations with clients she's had and determined there's been one common factor among all all the limiting things in your life, and that is fear. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. Um, and with that, I would like to welcome to the show the author of a couple books on fear, uh, The Fearless Factor and The Fearless Factor at Work. I would like to welcome to the show Jacqueline Wells. Hello, Jacqueline. How are you today? I am great, Brian. Thank you so much for the conversation. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So could you kind of give my audience a little bit of background on you? I'm not sure how many have heard of you or uh, where you kind of come from. So who is Jacqueline Wales? So who is Jacqueline Wales is a question I've been asking my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up in Scotland originally, and um, I was there for the first 16 years of my life and left home at a very early age, mostly to escape the extremely uh, violent and unhappy childhood that was my lot, literally. And um, so I moved to London at the age of 16 and immediately ran into all kinds of trouble, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, and rock and roll, you know, the, the whole nine yards. Um, and uh, I had my first child at the age of 20, gave her up for adoption. Then I married the first guy who said, I love you. And then we went on from there and I had another child and I ended up leaving the husband and the child behind when, when they were, uh, you know, he was like three and a half and I moved from London to San Francisco. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of my life kind of hanging by the shirt tails, shall we say. And, you know, people like to say to me, why fear? You know, and it was simple. I learned fear. I learned how to run and hide at a very early age, uh, mostly from my drunken father, who was quite violent when he got drunk. Um, and so it became a theme throughout my life that fear kept me playing small. Fear kept me running into trouble. Fear kept me self-sabotaging. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I then began to understand that life had to be different. And I needed to really go through the, the really hard, dark stuff to find out what it was that was driving me to do all these negative things. I mean, drugs and alcohol were a big part of my 20s and 30s. Um, and it became pretty clear that I had a major problem with it. And I went into AA for five years and discovered that it wasn't about the drinking, it was about thinking. And so, you know, when I look at, at that, um, you know, this is, we're just talking about like the first 35 years of my life. So, you know, I just turned 71 and I'm very happy to say that because there's quite a few decades of experience under my belt and I'm just getting started. Cause that's so the, the second 35 has been way more productive than the first 35. The second 35 has been amazing. Frankly. <laughs> um, I went on to have three more children, one of whom was a, a stepdaughter, uh, that, that I inherited from Thailand. And um, I started writing books, making music, took up martial arts, traveled the globe, uh, lived in different continents. 
And ultimately, by the age of 50, I had had a hell of a 15 years between 35 and 50. That sounds and fantastic. It, it was it was quite something. And then at the age of 54, I decided that that, you know, life had once more turned into a shit show. So I decided that I needed to find a career and I took up coaching because it was advice that with all my life experience, I would probably be good at it. Um, but I'd always been involved in writing and I wrote my first book, which took 12 years called When the Crow Sings. And it's semi-autobiographical and it talks about three generations of women in uh, my family in Scotland who gave birth to children outside of marriage and how it kept spilling over from generation to generation. So semi-fictional, but there's a lot of family history in that particular book. Uh, and then, of course, you know, fear showed up again. People said to me, why fear? And I said, because I understand it. I understand what it does to you. It keeps you playing small. It keeps you compromising. It keeps you from really showing up fully in who you truly are, because fear primarily is this. It's the stories we tell ourselves. That's it. Fear is rarely something that's threatening your life. More right. Yeah. How many how many situations are you running into where you're actually have that like that fight or flight, that fear of, you know, like it doesn't happen all that often. But yeah, I totally makes sense. Totally makes yeah. sense. So. And, and when you think about, you know, if it's the fight or flight piece, where does it start? It starts in our imagination. It starts in our thinking. So if you've got somebody who's pointing a gun at you, for sure, you're in fight or flight, you know. But most of the time, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up with the limitations of how you perceive yourself and your life to be. Right. Yeah. I as you were talking about that, you're describing how you you shortchange yourself, you sell yourself short, you 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 shoot short. Um, and I kept thinking, okay, yeah, because you're afraid to fail, so you short you set short goals, but you're also afraid to succeed, really because there is no really succeeding when you sell yourself short. Well, that's that's exactly it. And, you know, you I see failure and success as two sides of the same coin. And, and the reason for that is, you know, and I talk to a lot of people about what's your greatest fear, and they'll come up nine times out of ten with failure. And I go, okay, so let's look at what failure really is, because we're all failing our way to success. We're failing forward because if you're not failing, you're not learning. And if you're not learning, you're not growing. And it's it's just a domino effect. This is how it rolls. So when you have this fear of success, what you're saying is I'm I'm afraid of what will happen to me when I change. Do you do you think this is a condition thing with like schooling with failing? You're going to fail. You 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 need to get a hundred percent on the test or you fail. Like being wrong is okay. The first time, you know, like, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of the, the way testing is done and education is done kind of sets you up to be afraid to fail. Like I can't fail. I, I can't, they won't let me go on if I fail. <laughs> well, there is that because there's never in school specifically, if we're using that as an example, then you're supposed to have all the right answers. There's no space for wrong answers. There's no space for let's explore that and let's get curious about why would you think that way 
because I don't have time to, to listen to your thoughts. I only have time to, for you to get the answer. And if right. you can't get the right answer, I mean, I grew up believing that I was absolutely useless in math. Now, how long did that stick for? Pretty much my entire life, frankly. You know, it's like numbers, don't do it. My husband, numbers he'll do in a heartbeat. You know, not a problem. But for me, I, my, I got to work on it. I got to work I, on it. I think some of my most inspirational teachers, though, were the ones that were like, as long as you get it right in the end, you're okay. Like, I don't, if you fit, if you miss a question on a test, but you can go back and explain why you got it wrong and, and give you the right answer. I think those were the teachers I learned the best from. And I think that really projected into my life where I kind of, I kind of live it that way. Um, I, yeah. I, mean, I like that. I like that you're saying that, that uh, the opposite of success is, is doing what I'm not doing. So, <laughs> yes. Exactly. So, you know, the point being about, you know, learning and curiosity, and this is a big piece. A lot of people lose their curiosity as they become older. You know, they're, they're told that you ask too many questions. How many times have you been told you ask too many questions? Well, if we're not questioning, how can we learn? If we're not questioning, how can we analyze what's right and what's wrong out there? If we're not questioning, then frankly, you're not growing. Yeah. You're not growing. For sure. I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm a I'm a daily learner for sure in 18 different directions. And I I get I get it wrong more than I get it right for sure. So and getting it wrong is okay. You know, as long as you recognize that, yeah, that that perhaps wasn't the right way to go. I mean, let's talk about some of the hardest lessons we have in life. Many of these these hard lessons, and God knows I've had quite a few of them myself in my my decades. Um, you know, these were the major teaching points. These right. were like, oh, you want to do that again? Hell no. You know, like when people say to me, "Would you like to be go back to being in your twenties again?" I'm like, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I'm better off at this point in my life than I ever was in my twenties. Thank would you. I, would I like to be twenty? with everything I know and don't have to do it again, that probably might work a lot better, but now, it's like, if you came to your twenties with half the knowledge you have today, yeah, that's maybe a different thing. You know, then your life would have a very different trajectory. But the Correct. point being is that if we look at the trajectory of our lives, we learned the things that we needed to learn by going through the hard stuff. Yeah. Yep. There's no easy way to this. You know, when people say to me, why can't it be easy? And I go, why would you want it to be easy? Right, right. I uh, I had a social media post the other day uh, where I was talking about that. I, I, I was talking about if you could go back and change things, what would you change? And I said, you know, I'm really comfortable with where I'm at right now. And I don't think you need to change what you've done wrong. You need to change where you want to be, um, what you're going to do in the future to get where you want, because I wouldn't be standing right here with all the shitty decisions I made. Like I looked through it and, you know, I'm divorced. And because of my ex-wife, I moved to Minnesota and got divorced and I was in Minnesota. Why would I was I here? I have no idea. It was just because of her. Um, and then I met my current wife, who is the love of my life. I'd never, never give her up for anything. But I never would have been in Minnesota if I hadn't gotten married the first time. I don't think. Maybe I would have. I, I just don't get to that level of destiny and all that. But, you know, uh, do I wish I never got married? 
well, God, no, God, no. Cause the only reason I know the, the one I love right now is because I got married the first time. That's right. That's right. And I'm on my second marriage, which is now getting on for 43 years. So, you know, you look at that and I know the first one was not a good choice. In fact, the first one after the first month, I went, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not a good move, but I did it anyway. And of course that didn't last uh, very long, but um, you know, you, you just, you learn along the way. That's why I say we're failing our way to success. Right. And when we think about why fear matters to your success, think about the decisions that comes out of wanting to grow beyond the fear and insecurity and uncertainty. Because the truth of the matter is, everything is uncertain. There is absolutely no guarantees at all in life. I like to think yeah. there are, but the truth of the matter is, everything can change in a heartbeat. You know, oh, I like to say that I live in California. There could be a massive earthquake in a minute, and then boom, there we go. You yeah, know, the, or, the interview would be a little shorter than we intended. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, and you look at what's happening on the East Coast, everybody's life has been upended with, with the massive amounts of snow. Wouldn't yep. like to be there right now, that's for sure. But I always believe like we live in these circles within circles and everything is interconnected in a in a interesting way when you sit down and analyze. Like if I didn't know who that person, I wouldn't know that person. Right. And yeah. if I didn't take that road then, you know, what was the, the, the result of that? So the choices, that's really what we're talking about here. Choices we make in people, choices we make in our, our circumstances, the choices we make in terms of defining the events that we want in life or out of life. That's what creates this magical journey we call life. Look, looking back and finding those major uh, pivot points too, I guess, in your, in your diagram of the circles, the major pivot points, the, 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 the impactful ones, uh, and just quickly thinking about it while you were talking, it, it, it really seems that those are things where there was a lot of fear in those, in those decisions, whether it was meeting a person, um, that you were scared to talk to, but then it opened up all this, wonderful opportunity or or taking a chance or going somewhere those pivotal moments seem to revolve around fear yeah there's no question i mean i showed up in london at the age of 16 with no money no job nowhere to stay that was number one later on i showed up in san francisco very little money nowhere to stay and no job and i wasn't even supposed to be living here legally because i was on a <laughs> tourist visa um so i made that happen then i had other incidents in my life where, you know, everything falls out the bottom and what are you going to do? So the resilience that's built into that, let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah. Fear and overcoming fear creates an enormous amount of resilience so that no matter what shit hits a fan, you're going to be able to say, I'll be okay. Yeah. I'll be okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a big piece of the fear picture is that, Somehow I won't be able to handle whatever it is that comes my way. Right, right. Yeah, right. My, I, I'm one of those job hoppers. Um, and it's more like I don't choose to leave. I just self-destruct until they kick me out because I'll, I'll learn everything I can from the job. I'll get bored and then I'll just start picking away and then they fire me. Um, the first time it happened, my wife was like, oh, my God, you 
through layoffs, uh, seasonal layoffs, all sorts of stuff. I had lost my job more times than I could count. And she's like, holy crap, she had been at her job. She still has. It was like going on 20 years at the same job. And it was so foreign to her to be like, eh, well, it'll be fine. Uh, unemployment will come and we'll, I'll just do side work or this or that. But uh, having been there before was really kind of comforting for me. The first time I was like shitting bricks and I, I oh my God, what's going to happen by the third or fourth time? I was just like, that's eh, just another, another winner with a layoff. So, you know, what's interesting in what you just raised is self-belief. That's a big part of it. I believe I'm going to be okay. Right. I believe that I can withstand whatever it is that comes up because let's face it most stuff that comes your way won't kill you it'll just ask you to find a different way i like to say that when you fail at something there's only one word and that word is next right now what's next and when you take that approach of what's next then you're leaving the door open for opportunities you're living the possibilities of whatever might be there for you and you're trusting, and this is a big word, you're trusting that you'll be okay. You trust that you know yourself well enough to know that you've overcome some obstacles in the past. And the truth of the matter is, you'll do the same again, no matter what. Because the only big failure is the failure to try. Right, right. Just to curl up and say, oh, no, I'm I'm done. Yeah. Somebody take I, care of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not capable. Yeah, well. Not true. Yeah, very you might need a little help here or there, but uh, you got to try to be able to willing to be able to be willing to even accept help. So you know th that brings up a really important piece because what I discovered was you know I was always about I was you know takes care of stuff myself. I was always the one who was going to be in control, and asking for help really became a big lesson. Being able to say to people. I don't have or I need, can you help me? And being willing to be that vulnerable because the, the big thing about fear is it's about the courage to be vulnerable. But if you're not willing to be vulnerable and admit that you are in a weak place or you're in a, a place of uncertainty and you need help from other people, then you sit there and you're, you're stuck place. But when you say to people, I need help, how many people will say, tell me how? Yeah. Tell me how. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we've all uh... been there. We've all been there. And we just need somebody to say, how can I help? And I've, I'll have to tell you, in my own life in this last two, three years, when COVID came in, my business dried up. And I was like, okay, where do we, where do we go now? And then people started saying, how can I help? Right. And yep. it was amazing. And I've had some extraordinary help in the last three years. That has yeah, we, trajectory. Yeah. Asking for help is, uh, that's one of my, I, <laughs> I still, I still struggle with that greatly for sure. Um, that's, that's probably one of my biggest fears. <laughs> So let's let's talk about that for a second because you're not alone. There's a lot of people listening to this right now who are in the same boat. And as I said, for me too, you know, asking for help meant that I was weak, I was ineffectual, I was a failure, I was not capable, right. I was stupid, 
I was not worthy. I was not deserving. Now I just ran off a whole litany of stuff right there. And everybody listening to this who doesn't ask for help, they can identify at least one or two of them that they go, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. Um, people will think I'm not worth it. Now, here's the fundamental piece about fear. I'm not good enough. And if you personally don't feel like you're good enough, why would you ask people to help you? Because then they're just going to confirm you're not good enough. Right. right. Think about that game that gets played mentally. Yeah, mine usually rolls on the fact of why do I deserve that time out of their day? Because I'm super busy. I know I'm busy. Um, and I try to go out of my way to help people. And sometimes I'm like, man, that's that's putting a little extra load on me. Um, but I do it. And just because that's who I am. But that also plays into when I ask people, especially people that I respect and I know they're busy and I know their time is valuable. Um, that's my limiting fear is I'm they're saying yes to me when they shouldn't. It, so that's that's an assumption you're making. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. A, oh, that's, oh, for that's sure. definitely your judgment. And it plays into that place of I don't deserve their help. Right. Because I'm somehow abusing their time, abusing their expertise, whatever the case may be. Um, but I have to tell you, I used to feel the same way. And now I can approach people who are far more successful than me. And I can say, um, I need a little bit of a help here. Are you, You're open to that. Well, let's have the conversation. And yes, they are. Because no matter how, many, how busy we are, we all have 24-7. And what we choose to do with that 24-7 is my responsibility. And when right. you decide for somebody else that you don't want to take up their time, you're just taking responsibility for their, their way of being, their thinking. Yeah, and it's, it's very ironic because I'm an anarchist and I don't want to make decisions for anyone else. That's, uh, that's kind of anti what I am. Uh, so it's funny when you put it that way that I'm actually making decisions for them. And uh, yeah, totally makes sense. Okay, and thank you. Uh, where can I send the check for the session? <laughs> There's your five minutes of psychotherapy right there. And here's the other side of that. When you decide to make decisions for other people, you're disempowering them. Yep. Yep. And no, I mean, it's it's totally it's totally in the philosophy of everything I believe. What you just said, I just had never put the two together that I'm actually just making a decision that th I'm I'm making the decision that I'm not worth their time for them. Right, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this conversation right now who are like. Oh, shit, I'd do that, too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely in my in my circles, there's people that are, are going to put that together and realize it. And yeah, now we're all going to be helping each other and we're not going to have any time to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's an assumption right there. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, so so what do, what can people do on from start to... You're breaking up, Brian. I, I can't hear that question. You've just okay. gone and taken a walk. 
try again. Yeah, I I go on Starlink. I'm on Starlink, so it kind of goes in and out. My my listeners are well used to it by now. Um, but uh, what are some things that people can do to start evaluating and, and recognizing these this fear that that's kind of that it's hiding in their lives? I think I think a lot of people don't don't recognize it as much as they can. Yeah. Is there ways that you can start? Yeah. Start by recognizing your thinking. What are the stories you tell yourself? You just essentially told me that you didn't think that you're, you were worth somebody else's time. That's a story that you tell yourself. So when you start becoming aware of those stories, when you tell yourself you're stupid or when you tell yourself that you're not capable or you tell yourself you're not worthy of someone else's attention, who decided that story? And a lot of the time I would say, go back to earlier parts of your life because at some point in your life you had authority figures who diminished you. And I would guarantee you that that stuck. And I know it did in my life. My father told me for years I would never amount to anything until I could prove to myself that that was not true. But he was my authority figure. And at an early age, you do believe, you know, well, they must know because they're, they're who they are. But now I look at him and I go, yeah, he was drunken um, and definitely uh, didn't take responsibility for his own life, uh, really didn't think very clearly about most things and was fairly illiterate for the most part. And I trusted him to be the guide of who my life would be. Yeah, I'm not not even the slightest at this point. So, uh, you know, you look at that and you think about these messages that are in your head and you challenge them. Is it true? That's the whole basis for fear. Is it true? And I guarantee you nine times out of 10, the answer is no. Is it true you're not good enough? No. Is it true you don't deserve? No. Is it true you're not worthy? No. Uh, is it true you're not capable? No. Um, because these are the limitations that we place upon ourselves. I know someone who's quite dear to me who thinks he's pretty helpless. He's not good physically. He doesn't know how to screw things in or, or take things apart. And uh, guess who gets the job? I don't need to say who I'm talking about. <laughs> he's clever in a lot of other ways and uh, just not very practical. Uh, and that's that falls on me. And that's one of my strengths. So, you know, it takes a while to recognize that you don't have men around the house. Well, you do, but you don't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this, this, um, the fearless factor, the fearless factor, is this what we've been discussing or yes. is it? Yes. Just live. Be, here's, here's my take on it. Being fearless is not the absence of fear but it's the courage to take the next step because in taking the next step, you're opening yourself up to the opportunities that lie on the other side of your fears. And again, if we look at fear as being imagination-based or as a driver for growth, then simply put, when that fear shows up, there's an opportunity for you to step back and go, whoa, what's that about? Is it real? Or am I just making shit up? And I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, as I've said earlier, you're making shit up. And yeah. I did it for years. I did it for years. 
So you play small. And, you know, people would say to me, why are you playing so small? You have such a big personality. And it was simply because I didn't believe that I could really live into that personality. You know, I, I do a lot of, of writing and um, I publish articles on LinkedIn. So if anybody's listening to this, go to LinkedIn, look for my name, and you'll see lots of articles. And the latest one was about being living out loud. I'm here to live out loud. And what does that really mean? Tell the truth about who you are. Tell the truth about what it is you're all about. Don't hide. Don't put up a curtain and tell people that you're like the Wizard of Oz. You know, you've got a big voice, but right behind it is this little cowering figure, you know. So when I got a big like, voice and I'm six foot five, like 280 pounds, 260 pounds. So I got a big voice and I'm a big guy. I, I got a big voice. I'm five feet four and I weigh probably about 150 pounds at this point in time. <laughs> I'll have, I'll have your LinkedIn, uh, your LinkedIn address and links and all your other links in the, in the video, video description and the, and the show notes for the audio side. So I yeah. will uh, definitely send people there to read those. Excellent. So, yeah. So is that, is that kind of what you enjoy doing on a, on a, on a daily basis writing or coaching? What is, what is your yeah, favorite I, thing to do? You know, I, I would spend my whole life writing, you know, thought leadership and, and helping people understand. I mean, I, last year I took, a program I had created several years ago and had used in different ways, retreats, workshops, and so forth. And I digitalized all of it and created an online program called Transformational Strategies for Success. And what it is, it's 11 strategies, and it's designed to get people into the stories that they tell themselves so that they can create a different narrative. Create the narrative of who you truly are, not who you think you are. Now, I will, I'll say that again. Create the narrative of who you truly are, not who you think you are. Because I ask lots and lots of questions in this program. And those questions are designed to get you to self-reflect and deeply immerse in the stories that you tell yourself, which may or may not be true. So it's a significant program uh, on a lot of levels. And I've seen people transform their lives doing this program, which has been extraordinary for me as the writer of it. But mostly through my writing, I want people to think more deeply. I want people to really confront the uncertainties of their life. Because when we can do that with honesty, when we can truly be willing to step into the shit heap that we call our lives, and we're willing to change it up and do something different. I have to tell you from experience, it's amazing what happens. It's amazing. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you today if I hadn't done the work of self-reflection, of asking hard questions, and having a lot of great coaching and, and psychotherapy too, by the way, um, <laughs> that, that was able to cut through the bullshit and really help me define myself differently. And I'm still doing it every single day. Every single day I have to step up and I have to look at myself in the mirror and go, so what do you need to work on today? Where are you holding back? Where do you self-sabotage? Or where did you used to self-sabotage and you don't do that anymore? 
you know, there's there's all kinds of deep questions that, that need to be asked. But every day, who do I want to be today? How do I want yeah. to show up? Yeah, I, I think one one thing that's really helped me along the way is as the, the woman I found. Uh, I think two major things that we did uh, first moving to our homestead from the suburbs uh, when everybody was like, you're nuts, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? And we were just like, because we're prepared to do it. Uh, I'm one of those analytical piece of people that will research things for two years before I do it. And then we did it. And then when we decided to move into our trailer and kind of sell the farm and move in the middle of COVID and all of that. And like, it took two years, it, well, two and a half years from the time we decided we were leaving till the time we actually left was like two and a half years. And, um, but like, who makes that decision? <laughs> like without like, sure. We were scared shitless. There were, there were moments when I was on the farm, like doing chores before we were really ready to leave that I would have freak out moments like, Oh my God, how are we going to do this? And then I just had to sit down and calm down and breathe and go in and talk to my wife and it was okay. Like, yeah, it's that reassurance factor. I think it's that, that team battling that fear creeping in. Cause she would just tell me, no, you're, you've done the research. <laughs> you're like, you yes. know what you're doing. Yeah, I have my youngest daughter is a bit like that. You know, she researches everything upside one side, upside one side and down the other and all around. Um, so if I challenge her or anything, it's like, I already got it, Ma. You don't need to tell me. I figured it out. Um, but there is a piece to that. So but sometimes that that, you know, analysis paralysis can set in and you've got to be mindful of that, too, because when you overthink it, it can become problematic. Yeah. So sometimes it's just simply a case of we're going to do it. Let's go yeah. make it happen. And God knows I've been faced with a lot of those in my lifetime where, you know, oh. you find yourself with the suitcases and uh, what's next? I don't know, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. kind of, that's when, when we, when we finalized the sale and we were like, okay, well, we literally have nowhere to go. I mean, yeah. we have plenty of friends, family, like if we needed to go somewhere, we're confident we would have some place to pull our trailer. But yeah. really, where do we have to go? We don't have anywhere to go and nowhere to get. And it's fantastic because we're kind of letting it uh, plan itself almost um, letting letting opportunities present themselves and just being able to follow them. And it's it's a really unique position to be in. So it's a hard place to be in, too, because not many people will take that risk. And, you know, that is a very risky thing that you, you've done for sure. Most people want to live their lives in security and safety, which is why a lot of people never left their suburbs. You know, they... We got bored with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I've never really contributed to myself, frankly. You know, I mean, I call myself a global nomad because I literally, here's my journey. I went from Edinburgh, Scotland to London, to San Francisco, to Los Angeles, to Paris, to Amsterdam, to New York, to Bali, back to California, moved three times in California. And now finally I'm in a house where I ain't moving. This is it. I'm done <laughs> packing up shit and, and making it happen. So, um, you know, but I am, as I said earlier, I'm 71 years old. And the idea of, of packing up a house full of, of stuff and going somewhere else again doesn't appeal anymore. But as you can tell from the route I just explained, 
you know, and I've traveled the world in many different countries. So, you know, I've had those years and they were quite fantastic, but it takes a lot of risk to be able to do that. And most people are not prepared to put everything on the line. So kudos to you for putting everything on the line to live the life that you choose, which right. is really, you know, you can't, you can't fault it in any way. It is, you know, might not be for me. I don't want that kind of nomadic life, but it's working for you. And that's really, so there is to say about it, isn't it? Works for me. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about work. I mean, there are a lot of people in my audience that are kind of in that in that nine to five that don't want to be or do want to be, but they're kind of stuck in a rut. How does fear come into the workplace? Because you have the, the other book, The Fearless Factor at Work. Um, it was about the job, correct? Or was it at work on well, you? It's, it's, more, it's more about at work on you because one of the oh. things that... I've discovered was that um, many of the middle-level managers that I worked with over the years were truly lacking in self-awareness. They were also lacking in ability to communicate effectively, build trust with their, their direct reports, um, and really develop themselves so they could be considered for promotion. And though that those questions that I ask in that book, and every one of my books has questions at the end of every chapter, uh, it's it's important that you sit down and really ask yourself again the hard questions. So when we look at fear and leadership, how many bad leaders are out there? A lot, A lot more good ones. <laughs> You've had them. I've had them, although I spent very little time in the corporate world because I knew that it was not a good fit and I never wanted to be there for any length of time. Um, and so I kind of nomadic too. I mean, I was a temporary secretary for years simply because I didn't want a job to tie me down. It's like, hell no. If I don't like you, I'm leaving and I'll find another one. You know, yep. that's how it goes. But bad leadership is a problem and it's a very big problem in the corporate world right now. And people are are afraid for their careers, for their salaries, for the safety and security that a job gives you. And burnout is a huge problem at this point in time. As you probably know, the statistics are most people are very unhappy in their work. Mm -hmm. They're there to collect the paycheck, do the work that they need to do, and they're being overworked and frequently underpaid and they're putting up with it. So fear in the workplace is a really big thing. And I think that it starts with more thoughtful leadership, but it has to start at the top. And most people who are running companies are all about profitability and they're not about people, even though it's the people first and people last that brings the profitability. But if you don't treat your people well, how can you get loyalty? How can you? Oh, build oh for sure. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's usually that's usually the road I end up going down when I get bored with a job is I just start picking apart everybody above me, um, whether it's my direct reporter above them, and I I just like here this is what you're doing wrong. This is this is like if you did this different, it's not going to cost you anything. Just do this a little different. Everybody would be happier. This or that. And it was funny, this last job I had before we hit the road, uh, 
I had been telling them for five years all of the different things and just kind of, hey, here's a heads up. This would be better. And relatively surely before I knew I was going to be done. I knew I didn't know the exact date, but I knew I was on the way out. Um, they sent out an email, said that they were doing stay interviews to help us determine how to get these to stay. And I'm like, I'm not doing this interview. I've been telling you this for the last five years and you haven't listened. Now you're going to sit me down for an hour and ask me some canned questions and I'm going to give you answers and you're going to all of a sudden change. Don't waste my time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, these stay interviews that they do is like, you know, sorry, we messed up. How can we keep you around? And by that time, you're like, I give a shit how you feel. I'm out of here. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's the old thing. If you join a company and you leave the boss, you know, because most of them, again, they're not trained to lead people. That's the big issue right there. They're not trained to how to communicate, how to collaborate, how to show kindness, how to show that you really do give a shit about the people that you work with. Because most of the time it's just get the job done. I don't care how you get it done. Just get it done. Now, with that we, if we can get it done faster, that'd be great too. <laughs> precisely. Could you have it yesterday, not tomorrow? And, you know, we don't have time to wait around for that. So what I, what I talk about is how do we build a more humane workplace? How do we help people understand that by understanding who they are, number one, learn who you are and learn what your strengths and weaknesses are. Learn how to communicate so that people learn to trust you. How many times do people get feedback that starts with negativity? Because that's the only way they know how to do it. That's what's wrong with you. And that's what's wrong with the job as opposed to, can you help me understand? What do you need in order for this to be better for you so that we can be better together? Well, if we had more of those conversations, do you think that would change the workplace? Hell yeah. Yep. But that's not going to happen until the people at the top go, people are more important than profits. And that's where I come in. Well, I mean, the people are more important than the profits, but taking care of the people leads to the profits. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. When when you make they don't, they don't get it. <laughs> they, you know, many times they don't get it. You know, it's like people are more important than profits. I know that you want to run a profitable company, but understand that you cannot do this without your team being all in the same page. Right. How many companies do you work from where they're so siloed that you have no idea what one department is doing? And, and you know, you get a lot of that crossover of like repeating stuff because, you know, one person thought that was a good idea and completely out of the blue. So did somebody else. But <laughs> neither the twain shall meet, you know, and, and again, that's a communi communication problem. And then you have the other side of it, difficult conversations in the workplace where they're afraid to speak up, where they're afraid to speak their mind, where they're afraid to say to somebody, you know, what you're doing really isn't working for me. Well, then you get the, who do you think you are? You know, and so you have to learn how to frame those conversations, those difficult conversations with curiosity, back to that same thing we talked about a little while ago. I'm curious this isn't working out so well. Can you help me understand how we could do this differently? Can you tell me if there's something here that you really need that you're not getting? And Give them worth in the answer. That? Yeah. So when you're asking those kind of questions, when you're giving people some power in the game, 
then you're more likely to find that, yeah, we really are in this together because the same thing is like, we're all working for the same ends. I don't care what your, your roles are, but we're all making, working for the same ends. We either want to get this product or this service out into the world in the best possible way so that we all benefit. Yeah. It's very simple. So very these, seem, these seem like techniques that um, an employee looking to kind of move up could employ in that journey up. Like it's not just a, a, a top down, like we need to, like people could use this to their benefit to, to get themselves that edge. Oh, no question. I've, I've actually coached my clients to say to them, go into your boss and ask them, what do you need for me to do my job more effectively? What? You know, that's that's a hell of a thing, you know. Or I see we're kind of struggling here. What do you need for me to help you do this better? Now, who goes to have a conversation like that with their boss? Right. Very few. What do you mean you want to help me? Again, back to that thing of, you know, asking for help. Because how many leaders presume they're supposed to know it all? Right. How many leaders walk through their departments going, I know what I'm doing, and I'm just here to make sure that you know what you're doing. <laughs> right, yeah, right, for sure. Not, yeah, I learned a long, long time, uh, long time ago with the jobs and starting new jobs and having to build those relationships with my supervisor, basically um, right within the first couple of weeks, I'm, I'm having a discussion with them and saying, Hey, I might not do everything the way everybody else does, but I do accomplish the goal. And if I'm not accomplishing the goal, will you let me know and let me know how to do that better? Um, but if, you, if it's within the confines of how we're doing things, can I do it my way? And like, just lay it out there that I'm a little different. Um, uh, I'm going to get the job done and I'm probably going to get it done more efficiently, but you be me and do my thing and they they seem to appreciate that the ones that i really enjoy working for do and we work very well together because they know they can speak to me and be like hey i need you to pick it up in this way and i respond very well because they're giving me the leeway to to do my thing so i definitely give that back when they need something from me so if we look at that from the fear point of view people feeling like they don't have the authority to speak to somebody who's in a higher authority than mm -hmm. I am in that way. Whereas you're unorthodox. So you're basically saying, I ain't got nothing to lose. You know, here I am. Right. I do it right up front. So they know I'm just an asshole to begin with. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't even use the word asshole. I would say you're being direct enough for them to be able to say, okay, how do we get this done together efficiently? Because right. at the end of the day, they're all about efficiency, you know, productivity, all that good, you know, buzzword stuff. But the truth of the matter is it always going to come down to relationships. How do we work together to get a good result? And if you can help people understand how to have those conversations, give them permission, because there's a big one right there. you got to give people permission to have a voice in the process. And if you're a leader who doesn't believe in that, just do as I say, those days are over. They're so over at this point in time because millennials and Gen Zs, they want to put up with that shit. They'll basically tell you, um, 
I'll be happy to do the job, but there are certain things here that we need to address. Yeah, they also need to be confident in the fact that they do have a voice, otherwise they won't. If if right. they don't feel like if they don't feel like there's a reason for them to be heard when they're either reprimanding or trying to make things better or anything, if they just feel like it's eh, nobody's listening to me, then that's what happens. Yes, in, in in my experience, at least. Right. No, I think that that's very true. There is always that sense of you know, well, whatever I have to say is not going to make make any damn difference. You know, so why would I bother? So I'll just keep my head down, get on with my job. And the statistics bear it out. 70% of people in the workplace are unhappy yeah. because they just basically keep the head down and go on with the job. There's no point in complaining. There's no point in talking about it. It is what it is. That's the attitude. And that attitude undermines everything. Wheels in a cog. Yeah, but I, I like to say that, you know, the, the, we are the wheels. There's no question. Yeah. You know, we talk about cogs in the wheel, but we are the wheels. And the more that the hierarchy, the folks who are actually paying the bills can appreciate that, then the more importantly it is that you need to take care of your people. And that's that's one of the things I talk about a lot in my work, especially with organizations. How well do you take care of your people? Oh, they're good enough. They're getting paid well. We got all these perks. How well do you understand your people? Oh, well, that's a different question. How, how, you, how does how does a manager achieve that like sincerely yes. and honestly uh, because I've been asked plenty of times like to have a conversation uh, with someone and if if I don't if it's already to that point that they need to have that conversation it doesn't happen to me like well the, that's the, the people key that, right there. yeah that's the key you don't wait to have the conversation you bring in a new report. You want to sit down with them and say, I'm, I'd like to get to know who you are. And you figure out some really good questions to ask them. Not the interview stuff, because right. most interviews are terrible. They have canned <laughs> questions and, and, you know, and the person who's on the other side of the table, they don't come with questions. They just go, okay, how much are you going to pay me? You know, right. uh, and who am I reporting to? And when do I get my holidays? You know. Um, as opposed to tell me about the culture of this organization. Tell me what it is that really matters to the people in this organization. That becomes a whole deeper conversation right there. But if you're the boss and you're sitting down with a direct report, I'd like to get to know you. So, you know, let's talk about your family. You know, do you even, for a lot of people, do you even know if they've got kids? I mean, I, I spoke to one woman one time who said, for three years, I never told anybody I had children because I was going to be judged as uh, ready to quit. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny you, you, you talk about having the conversations and the interviews being canned and stuff. I worked for a startup at one point. I was like employee number seven. And throughout the years, we had many hiring sprees and everything. And I ran a department um, like the functionality of the factory. And so they had me interviewing people and I wouldn't ask the questions. I'm like, I'm not asking those questions. You all asked the same questions four times already. Let me just go have a conversation with the person. And I would walk around the, the, the plant and it was really cool equipment. It was like cutting edge technology. And so we would just walk around and we would look and I would answer questions for them. And I was asked them questions like, 
hey, if you went and got a grill this weekend, would you rather put it together or have them put it together for you? Because I needed to have people that wanted to turn a wrench to fix something. I was interviewing for a position that no one had ever done before because it was a one of a, it was the first of its kind. So I had to figure out how to find out if these people could, could do this without, there wasn't a test. <laughs> like, yeah. And the yeah. HR people hated it. They just absolutely hated that I, I wouldn't ask their questions. I said, well, I'm not interviewing if I have to ask your questions. That does nothing for me. And the success rate of my suggestions on who we should hire and who we should fire over all of that was like, it blew them out of the water. But they still wouldn't give in to the fact that getting to know someone and getting asking them questions and getting the answers without asking the actual question is the way to talk to people, is the way to get to know them. So here's here's what happens. It's called laziness. Well, there is, yeah, there is that too. <laughs> it's, it's pure laziness. It's like, you know, we've got a set of questions. We're going to ask the questions. Then we'll decide whether they can be hired or not. You know, it's it's the template. It's the stamp. And um, it doesn't endear people to you. But right. if you're a manager and you sit down with someone who's on your team and go, look, you know, I'd love to, to get to know a little bit more about you. You know, what is it you like? You know, what, what interests you? Where do you feel like you've failed in your, your past that, you know, you would have done it differently? Let me learn about how you think. Let me learn about what's important to you. I think philosophy is very important. Um, I, I'm one of the pers- people that, that just separates like personal and work. Like I don't, I don't like to hang out with my coworkers because I spend 40 hours a week with you. I don't need to spend more time with you outside of work. I think team building inside of work has its place, but I'm kind of a more of the lone wolf. Like I go to work to work and I don't go to make friends. Um, but I'm also able to have a conversation with people. I'm not, I'm not unfriendly to them. I just don't need to be their friends. Um, and so my MO is getting to know how they think, like you said, and philosophy and how I can relate with them to make us both more efficient or work together. We could have totally different opposing views, but if I know how you think, I can work effectively with you. That's right. That's exactly right. And you also have to figure out what's their values because that's another piece of, of the connecting point. You know, how you think, what's your values? What is it that gives your life meaning? You know, and this comes about through conversations. You can't you can't just sit down and go, could you tell me what gives your life meaning? Hell no, right. that won't work. That won't work. But what it can do is you can say, tell me what's important to you. Because, you know, and again, mutual sharing, you know, right. you start sharing stories. So, you know, oh, yeah, I, when I, I hear you on that story, when in my life that this is what we've been doing for the last nearly an hour now, right. we've been sharing stories about our lives yeah so what does that do it builds more trust right what does that do it reveals and for those who are listening to this conversation that we're having there's a lot of people sitting there going oh yeah hell yeah i get that you know so we get into this mutual story sharing and it becomes the glue that makes it possible for us to develop a relationship that matters right right very very easy yeah but not easily done 
no no very very difficult i and and the more you say that and the short conversations and the conversation and the trust building um i spent a decade before i did all this job hopping i did a, I spent a decade uh, behind the bars serving drinks and waiting tables and learning to converse with people learning to entertain with people and learning how to make money off i mean like cut and dried i i needed to get to know them to make more money in a short period of time like how That's many right. You know, two cocktails, two cocktails, one cocktail. I had that amount of time to build that rapport with them. So they left a five instead of a one. Um, So that's that that I carried that on to all these other blue collar jobs and never even realized it till you were kind of talking about that. That's what it is at work. It's that bam conversation, that one drink, two drink, three drink conversation at lunch or on break or while you're doing a task. That's right. That's right. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, essentially, all people want to be seen and heard. That's it. They want to be listened to. And I talk about listening in my programs. You know, most people are listening, waiting for their turn to speak. But when you learn how to listen and really listen to what people are saying and can mirror back to them what they've said so there's no misunderstanding, there's no lack of communication, or when you're listening to what's not being said, and if you're really tracking, you know, the progress of things, then it becomes a meaningful conversation. But when you're at level one listening, where you're listening, waiting for your turn to speak, you're not even hearing what it is that people are saying to you. So, you can ask you know, my wife. I'm, I'm a very yeah. good listener. Well, you're a podcast host. I mean, you, you've got to be a good listener. I mean, I'm a coach. I've got to be a good listener. Because if yeah. I'm not listening for the stories, if I'm not listening for the things that are not being said, you know, then I might be missing a major piece of what I can do to help people be better. And that's what we do as leaders. You want to help people be better. And so to do that, you've got to know who you are before you can help people know who they are. So... We're kind of rolling up here on an hour. I uh, I told you an hour, and I'm going to stick to that because that's just respectful. Um, but uh, what do you have coming up? What's uh, any last thoughts, anything you, you're working on or coming up? I know I'm going to have your LinkedIn link for sure in all the notes. And then the the fearlessfactoratwork.com is the website that, uh, that I was directed Actually, at. No, I'm actually going to send them to my my website is now JacquelineWales.com. Perfect. So the Fearless Factor at Work is still there, but my my primary focus is the, the JacquelineWales.com. Perfect. Uh, yes, I will update that for sure, so I don't forget to get that all changed. Yeah. Um, but what what do you got coming up? Anything new and exciting? Or? Well, 23 is going to be an amazing year. I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to be doing a a very exclusive retreat for high-level women in April, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's very small. There's six people involved, and we're going to have an amazing five days, four nights of transformational work with myself and a wellness expert. So that's, that's a big one that I'm working on right now. Uh, the Transformational Strategies for Success program is open and we launched uh, earlier this year. And so that will continue. And I want to bring more people on board to that. 
And for your listeners, if they go to my website, you can find a download called Transform Your Fear, Three Easy Ways to Transform Your Fear. And it is based on some work that we've got in the strategies program. And it's designed to help people break through the barriers that, that might be getting in the way. There will be workshops that we're, we're working on. First of all, we'll be setting up your intentions for the coming year. And it's going to be all about finding or identifying your resources and the action steps and the ways in which you really want to take your life to the next level. So that's a workshop that's probably coming up, I think, on the 26th of January. So we'll, we'll have that as well. So a lot of good things. I'm very excited about 23. I feel like 23 is my year. Time to, to absolutely hit it out of the ballpark and, uh, you know, probably write another book in 23 as well. Awesome. Which is another thing. Yeah. Awesome. So between the LinkedIn profile and JacquelineWales.com, we will uh, be able to find all of your stuff and all your stuff coming up. So that's great. I really appreciate having, the, appreciate having you on. The conversation was fantastic. You're super easy to talk to, dear. So I really <laughs> appreciate it. And your story is fantastic. So um, say goodbye, Jacqueline. I will say goodbye, and I wish everybody a absolutely wonderful, amazing, fearless year ahead. So thank you, Brian, for having me here. It's been a blast having this conversation, and happy trails wherever yeah. you can go. <laughs> All right. Hang out for a minute. I'll talk to you just after the song. <laughs>